Hamhuis intercepts, dumps the puck back in. Campoli has it, flips it. Burrow steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They slayed the dragon. Alex Burrows, 5:22 into overtime. Game seven goes to Vancouver, and the Canucks are off to the second round. Burrows bags it. Bo Horvat. Danny Hansen. Horvat's gone to the front of the net. Cycles on. Horvat steps in, turns, fires into a crowd block. Another chance to score. his first National Hockey League playoff goal with some persistence in front of the Calgary net. And Couldn't get a shot away, now he gets it back, backhander through traffic, loose puck, Fernandez comes up, oh, oh, score! Matt Cook, Matt Cook, the Canucks have tied the game with 1.2 seconds. Now Daniel still has the puck. At the right point, he controls. Let's go with a slap shot, deflected in! Trent Clatt, the Canucks have won it in overtime. Clatt with the goal, and Vancouver takes game one. And welcome into Connection Pucks. This is episode seven of the podcast. It's been a great uh, four episodes uh, since the hiatus has been um, done. So it's been it's been really great uh, to have uh, the podcast going again. And uh, yeah, Canucks are about a week away from uh, playing some playoff hockey finally in in uh, Vancouver. Even though it's not here, uh, we will still be watching them on TV. Uh, they're going to be and they're actually probably in Edmonton right now and uh, they uh, kind of took down their roster to the 30 players uh, Cole Lynn staying home and uh, Ashton Sautner and Bill Brisebois along with Mikey DiPietro are staying here as well uh, going to uh, Edmonton we have Oli Levy and Brogan Rafferty which uh, two defensemen that have been really great for the team um, in training camp. Uh, Yalevi especially, he's shown a lot more with his health and his strength. Um, actually having a, an article out today as well on uh, Hockey Writers, so um, if you're tuning in today, uh, listening to the podcast, it'll be out this morning as well, so you can uh, give that a read. Um, kind of talk about Yalevi and, um, and Lind a bit. I'll just talk about Rafferty, but mostly Yalevi about his I mean, his development is well documented in uh, Connect Nation with his, you know, it's a, his ability to, you know, his development's kind of taken a bit to step back because of his injuries, and he's finally healthy after the break, and uh, he looks he looks a lot no, more normal moving the puck and uh, skating. So that's that's been a great positive for him, and uh, very happy that he's been able to. Uh, turn it around and you know getting a spot uh, on the roster and actually going to uh, be an option for Travis Green depending on injuries and uh, you know he was in the final uh, you know scrimmage he was playing with Troy Stetcher there so I mean you never know he's a bit of a he's a good puck mover uh, he can skate 
and uh, he's a left hand, you know, left hand defense, left defense, so he can play with stature uh, quite adequately. But I mean, looking at Travis Green, he probably will play Oscar Battenberg and or, or Jordy Ben uh, when it ultimately gets going. So, uh, but it's great to have him in the conversation again. And uh, you know, he's looking more and more that he will become an NHL defenseman at one point and actually uh, come into you know being that that guy that. He, you know, be a solid uh, top six defenseman. I mean, you don't know if he's going to be that top four that he was supposed to be when he's drafted, but he's still going to be a great defenseman for the Canucks in the long run. And this and this experience he's going to get, depending on or not he plays or not, uh, he's still going to be around NHL players, NHL coaches, uh, NHL practices, and all that stuff. So he's going to be able to kind of gain that experience, talking with them, uh, pointers from the veteran defensemen, you know, guys like Chris Tanev and, uh, you know, Alex Edler, Tyler Myers and, uh, you know, those guys. And even, you know, even talking to a guy like Quinn Hughes, I mean, he's not a veteran in the NHL, but he's still, you know, he's a great puck mover. He's got smarts. He's, and Yulevi has those at hockey IQ too. So, I mean, it's going to be invaluable for him to actually just be there and be around that atmosphere and being like, you know, a contained environment that, you know, it's not going to happen again. Uh, and he's getting a once in a lifetime opportunity to, you know, develop that and be, you know, just be around some initial players. So it's going to be great to see him there. Um, today, I've got some great guests on the podcast. I've got uh, first, I got Clay Emo. Uh, he's one of the most positive guys on Canucks Twitter, and we had a great chat about uh, you know the match, the matchup with the Wild, uh, the you know the forward groups, the defense goal pending, and uh, you know Jake Bertanen's uh, apparent uh, you know not being part of the roster uh, lineup uh, when play gets going. So uh, it was a great conversation with that with him and uh, and. Yeah, uh, hopefully we can get him on the podcast again because it was great. It was great to talk to him. Uh, and after that, uh, we're going to talk with Jack Dawkins uh, from the Hockey Writers. Uh, he's been a great, great guy over there with the prospects, and he covers a, quite a few NHL teams from from the Wild to the Washington Capitals, Florida Panthers, LA Kings, and uh, he does some work with Arizona Coyotes as well. So I mean, uh, he's. Uh, you know, Jack of all trades. His name's Jack too, so Jack of all trades over there, and uh, got a great, great long conversation with him uh, about uh, the matchups, the Canucks, uh, how they match up with the Wild. Uh, it was, it was great to kind of get an outside perspective away from, uh, you know, the Canucks side of it into a Minnesota Wild side to see what the matchup is, and then finally uh, talked with. Bailey Johnson of uh, formerly Michigan Daily News. Uh, she runs a site called Fresh Ice, which uh, does a lot of analytics for uh, Michigan Wolverines. And uh, we talked a lot about uh, Quinn Hughes and uh, Will Lockwood, who recently signed with the Canucks, and talked a little bit about his game, his development uh, down in college there, and uh, how much he can maybe potentially uh, be an NHL player, what he can do. Uh, she knows him quite well from being uh, from covering the Wolverines down there. Had a great chat, and then uh, after all those guests, we will talk some Canucks hockey mailbag new segment to the Canucks mailbag. Uh, I took some questions from Twitter, 
and uh, kind of answered those. And hopefully we can get a few more questions next time. We got three this time, but I will answer those and uh, have good, some good discussion a bit uh, about those questions. And then uh, we will just wrap up with some news and notes and for next yeah, for next episode and and we'll be talking Canucks playoff hockey finally uh, some games uh, especially next week we will have the exhibition game to talk about I have some great guests lined up already uh, Dan Seaback from uh, Canucks Twitter I had a good chat with him at a preseason game with the Canucks so uh, it's going to be great to actually reconnect with him and talk and talk some hockey and talk some Canucks hockey, talk some exhibition game with the Winnipeg Jets, because it'll be the day right after that we'll be recording. And then uh, probably we'll release that episode earlier than normal. We'll be releasing it uh, on probably Friday um, so that we can get that before the games actually begin on Sunday, uh, August 2nd, when the Canucks will play the Minnesota Wild. And then, of course, we will have some great guests for the next episode talking a bit about the, the game and uh, see where the Canucks are at at that point. And we'll be talking a bit about the atmosphere of the TV broadcast, what happened, um, what type of atmosphere there was. Uh, already some good reports coming out of Edmonton from Thomas Strantz uh, saying that the NHL's done a great job with the accommodations and safety over there. So that's great to hear. And uh, yeah, so we'll get the show going with that. All right, welcome back to Canucks and Pucks. I'm very excited to be joined by Clay Emo. Uh, he's been a big YouTube guy over the last few years and uh, probably the biggest positive uh, guy on Canucks Twitter, I'd say. Founder uh, of the good-looking Canucks Positivity Club, which I'll say I'm part of as well. I'm uh, very happy to have you on the show, Clay. And uh, yeah, th thanks for taking the time to get on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Matthew, for having me. I know you're growing very quickly and you're doing great work, as I, as I mentioned to you off air. And yes, you are a lifetime member of this GLCPC. Granted, uh, I'm the only, you know, uh, the screening coordinator or whatever. So um, I, I've given you lifetime membership for sure, because I know you are very positive as well. And I think you'd agree. We need more guys like us on Twitter, guys and girls like us on Twitter. Yes, for sure. Um, yes, very, very exciting to get, uh, I had Brennan Batchelor on, uh, the last episode and I'm, uh, upping up with, uh, with you as well. So it's great to have, have so many, so many good guys that, uh, agreeing to get on the podcast, especially early on in my, uh, very, basically I'm rookie still. So. No, that's awesome. You can be, uh, the podcast version of Quinn Hughes then you're fine. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, that's a positive thing that's for sure yes <laughs> all right so yeah start off with uh, the scrimmage that just happened uh, yet last night i saw a lot of a lot of goal scoring a lot of stuff happened vincent come out as michael ferlin um super excited to see him uh come out with uh, being healthy and his concussion seemed to be a thing of the past and um just for his lifestyle in general uh, not ju just away from hockey. That's what I was kind of worried about um, with his concussion issues and that he'd be able to play. Uh, what do you think about his potential impact uh, coming into the playoffs? Yeah, Matthew, you make a great point. And it's, not, it's more than just him being a hockey player and living up to that four-year contract, right? You, you, you're concerned for him as a man and a, 
as a husband, right? That's, a, that's yeah. very important. And yeah, I, uh, just before actually I got on here with you, I was, I was watching his press conference from earlier and he looks good, man. He sounds good. He was explaining, I'm not sure if you, if you heard it, he was explaining that it wasn't yeah. actually the fear of getting hit or hitting. It was actually, um, he, he, he referenced it as, it felt like being drunk. It yeah, felt like yeah. that, yeah, everything was happening so fast. He was troubling death perception, picking up, you know, where guys were, peripheral vision. So if, if that was it and he needed these few months off to make that right, and he's not worried about the physical contact, then that's awesome. Um, you remember how good he was in 2015 oh, against yeah. us, right? Yeah, it's scary. I think yeah, yeah. BX is still having nightmares about him. So I think, uh, yeah, I think a, a healthy Furlan, given that he's got, you know, t- at least two playoff runs of experience in him, that gives him an automatic advantage over Vertan and, and, and McEwen. As, as much as we want to see Vertan succeed, as good as a feel-good uh, feel story McEwen is, I think if you want playoff experience, you want a guy who can play fast, play hard, uh, score, pitch in, and yet, uh, uh, you know, rough it up in the corners. Uh, Ferland is built for playing off playoff hockey. If he's ready to go, I, I think you put him in uh, with no hesitation. But I guess that's what that exhibition game is for, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, seeing Ferland just just be healthy. And like when, when the Canucks signed him at the beginning of this season and everyone's like, well, you know, paying that much money for him and all that stuff. And then he had the problems with the injuries. And I was like, oh, here we go again with guys uh, we sign after having uh, positive impacts with other teams and he comes here and he's injured. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, seems like that's what happens. I remember David Booth back yes. in, uh, when we got him from Florida. It's like, oh, he's going to be such a good power forward for the Canucks. And then he was injured most of the time he was here. So, yeah. um, I mean, Ferland as a, as a player, he's a big difference maker in, you know, hitting, uh, physical play, agitation, and then you add Antoine Roussel in there too, uh, who's playing on the same line. I mean, I wouldn't want to play against that line, that's for sure. I agree. And, you know, they're going to fill a really nice hole, a really nice niche, right? You know you have the Beagle, Mott, Sutter, or Erickson line. They're going to be our true checking line. And we know what our top six is supposed to do and what they need to do. So if you, if you have a line that can uh, stir it up a little bit, can score – is not bad defensively. You know, they're not going to be the, the stoppers, yeah, but right. as long as they don't get outscored, you're right, Matthew. They could do some really, they could be a huge X factor for us, all three of them. Yeah. I mean, and looking at, uh, you know, the young guys, uh, you know, Adam Gaudet, uh, he's been kind of under under the radar in training camp a bit. I mean, he's not being talked about a lot, but I, I see he, him being stronger down. You know, he's been saying he's he feels better than the regular season. And, you know, he could be a factor, too, because he can score goals. Yes, he does. Yeah, he had a wonderful points per game this year, a marked improvement. And he, yeah, there's a reason why they felt okay trading Tyler Madden away, right? Because they look at, yeah. uh, at uh, Gaudet as being a third-line center for years to come, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, he has to get better at face-offs. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest thing is 41% or so yeah. efficiency rate on that. And, I mean, that comes with time and strength and, uh, you know, working with Manny Malhotra should help him out uh, yeah. as well. So, I mean, I'm not really worried about that. And he's already a good two-way player. I think, I think that third line is going to surprise a lot. And you think about previous third lines in the playoffs, and they're usually the big factors in, yeah. uh, you know, in winning a series or not. That's a great point. Yeah, and just to talk about your face-off thing, you know, I think we saw in the regular season sometimes Horvat. When they're in their defensive zone, Horvat would come on for the draw, and then 
uh, as they, you know, hopefully they win possession and, and make it to the other end of the rink. Then he jumps off and, and go to, jumps on. But yeah, you, you never know, but you're right about the third line. Yeah. You expect the top six to do well and to put in their sh- fair share of goals, but playoff heroes are often, not always, but are often those, those third line guys for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and even looking at the, I mean, experience that you said earlier about Ferland and his experience in the playoffs and, you know, as much as we like, we loved McEwen's, uh, you know, rise in the in training camp. And the thing is, he could still play on the fourth line. And we don't know what Travis Green will do. I mean, in this past scrimmage he had, and in the lines this morning, he had him, uh, had Sutter on that fourth line. So, I mean, I think he may gravitate to Sutter or Erickson because of their veteran uh, stuff and Sutter being a faceoff man. Uh, but, I mean, you never know. McEwen could still be a factor in the series. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, that fourth line, uh, Beagle and Mott have played together the entire two weeks, right? So then I really think um, we're looking at that third spot. Yeah, you have Sutter on the other, then you have another center. Uh, yeah, another center on there to take draws. Um, Erickson, he's uh, scoring a, a weird amount of goals yeah. in, in the <laughs> scrimmages. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. a little bit more like how he's supposed to be. But Yes. Um. <laughs> yeah, of course, playing against guys aren't really checking or whatever. But um, That's true, yeah. No, you're right. Travis Green does love his, his veterans for sure. That's why I do think he I think for, he'll put in Furlan over Vertanen or McEwen for sure. And that's why the fourth line, yeah, unfortunately, I, I just don't see McEwen and Vertanen, if Furlan's in on the third, making – you know, that much of a difference to be on the fourth. I think Green will go with uh, Old Faithful, i.e. Uh, Sutter yeah. and or Erickson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to go off that, uh, we've mentioned Jake Bertanen a couple times. How, how surprised are you um, that how, how he came into training camp? You mean from a standpoint of th- that he struggled off the bat? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's tough. Like, I, I know you like Jake. I like Jake. We want to see him do well. He's a local yeah. boy. And he's got such a tantalizing... Um, a combination of skills, right? He's fast. He can hit like a truck. He's got really good hands, a good release. But we know that is, I don't want to say he doesn't have good hockey IQ, but these guys are all good players. But maybe maybe he just doesn't think the game or process the game in, in, at the speed of other guys. Maybe he doesn't put in the effort defensively. So we're aware of his shortcomings. I'm sure that he's aware of the shortcomings. I'm sure the coaches have told him. So, you know, now he's 23 years old, getting on 24. He's got to start making... Uh, you know, taking ownership and taking accountability and making a difference because honestly, Matthew, if he gets supplanted by Furlan here and if, if Jake doesn't play a lot during this postseason, no matter how far the Canucks go, it's going to hurt in his bargaining power, right? He's oh, an RFA sure. and we're going to figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go and what kind of offers they're going to get. And I, I don't think we should just pencil in or pen in that, that Britannia going to be around next season or at a big amount because um, yeah, uh, to answer your question, I thought he'd come in a bit more impressive. I thought, um, you know, I, I've heard rumors, not rumors, but there's a theory that maybe Travis Green is trying to light a fire under his butt, but um, uh, I don't think he's, uh, yeah, I, I think he's lost his spot, quite frankly. And I was, I was surprised. Everyone was starting from scratch, like everyone was going to get a fair shot. And he did. He started the training camp on that third line, then McCune replaced him and then further replaced him. So is he like third string now? That's yeah. crazy to think, right? And the thing is, I was talking to Batch, uh, like in the last episode, and saying that, you know, the thing is about him is, you know, we can't go by as, oh, he scored 18 goals in the regular season, he mm. should have a spot. Um, thing is, the new season, uh, he had to come into training camp playing the same way, mm-hmm. and at least, you know, at least hold his spot. But I mean, like I said, it's, ever since he was drafted, we've seen his skill level, he's got the potential to be that 25 goal scorer 
and an impact player, but he's got to put in the work and that's the thing. Yes. No, I agree with you. And yeah, as, as he gets older and despite how much we like him and you know, whatever the social media misgivings, him filming himself driving in gear or, yeah, or him, right. him being out with his buddies, whether you blame him or blame his friends or whatever. I, I actually think that was a little bit more um, too much overblown, but yeah, Matthew, you add each of these things up and there always seems to be something right. So, yeah. Um, and if you have a guy in Furland who's plays just as well, even better and less drama and more yeah. experience, I, I think the, to me, it's very clear who you play. Oh, for sure. Um, and to, let's let's go from the bottom six and go up and talk about the top six. Yeah. Um, the excitement that's surrounding, I mean, we've had excitement surrounding Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson since they became Canucks. Um, but, I mean, they both looked amazing in training camp. And even, a, you know, Brock Besser coming in with all the trade rumors surrounding him, whether they were true or not, um, they've all been very impressive in training camp. Do you think, I mean, it's probably an obvious answer. Do you think they're going to perform in the playoffs? You sure hope so, Matthew. Like um, we hear a lot about how good the top four uh, D men of Minnesota are right with yeah. Suter, with Spurgeon, with um, who else is there? Oh yeah. With Dumba and Brodina course. So they do have a good top four, but that's um, yeah. You, you're, you're paid to, to play well in the playoffs. And I think Pedersen is going to be so hungry, man, that he's going to oh, do yeah. well. Uh, Toffoli and Pearson have the experience. Miller has just been a rock star this season. Horvat, you know that he's hungry. And uh, Besser, it's funny how we're almost talking how Besser is an afterthought behind Miller, Pedersen, Markstrom, Hughes. But this guy, yeah, exactly what you said, coming off an injury and he looks fast, he looks sharp. So I, I do, yes, I do expect the top six to perform. And it, it, you know what's crazy, and you know this too, we were so excited that they were going to play together for the first time, and then the season shuts down right after that yeah. game, right, against the Islanders. Huh. Yeah, but I, I'm excited to see what they can do, and it looks like obviously Toffoli's going to start in the top line, Bester in the second line, but they can swap that, right? If, if things aren't going well oh, yeah. or if they need another look, you, you reunite the lotto line, and then you have Toffoli and Pearson playing together, although obviously they haven't had much of a chance to do so yet here. So I do like the, the versatility that's up there, but I, I – I think just as Hughes can be the X factor for our blue line, I think Pedersen will be a huge X factor. The guy's hungry, man. I, I, I can't oh, wait to see what he's going to do next weekend. Oh, yes. The thing is, is like, just watching, I, I mean, I'm watching Quinn Hughes. I've been, in, I've been in awe of what he can do on the ice ever since he was drafted and ever since he started, he had, you know, slipped the jersey on for the Canucks for the first time. <laughs> and <laughs> the way he moves the puck is ridiculous. And, and you watch him in training camp and, to think that he's stronger and more confident, I mean, that's a scary thought to be playing against a guy like that. And in training camp, he's already shown a bit of those moves and setting up Godet in that scrimmage yesterday. And I mean, oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> it's so he's true. Just and then, ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, you know, how old are you, Matthew? I am going to turn 35 in like a month. So. Okay, so we're and I'm I'm 46. So we we got we you know we got some age on these guys, but so you can appreciate what I'm going to say then because you're yeah you know you're in the 30s as opposed to your 20s. When you're only 20 years old, a four month gap is still a lot. You're still technically growing, getting bigger, faster, all that, right? For us, yeah, yeah. four months doesn't mean anything. It just adds to the how old we are, like whatever. But <laughs> so I think you know what I'm getting at. You've seen yeah, yeah. how quickly he's improved, and sure, other players have the young guys that have improved too. But uh, we care about Quinn Hughes. We care about Elias Patterson. These guys are 20, 21 years old, 
and basically another four months, five months on them, it, you can look at it as another year or so. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. And you're right. That, that play where he gained the line, cuts back the other way, then goes back to the, to the side that he was, he started from with to Godet is beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then to go off that with Pedersen earlier in, in uh, the scrimmages with the, he's stumbling and he still gets the puck and <laughs> it makes a ridiculous pass to the guy rushing up the ice. I mean, yes. The guy is just, they're both wizards with the puck. And that, to yeah. think we get we got both of them uh, not where they were supposed to go technically yeah, um, is it, just insane. It is. It is. And they've, I've always said, Matthew, that they've single-handedly sped up the rebuild, the rebuild here by one or two years, right? I, don't, yeah. I think uh, two years ago before Pedersen started playing, n- no one would have said, um, no, we're going to build a team to try and compete for a cup now. But look what they've done in the past year, starting with the Leval trade and then Pearson and Toffoli and, uh, you know, signing guys like Ferlin, Myers. You know, they're, they're trying to win now. It's obvious. Oh, yes. And the thing is, is with the cap issues, I don't want to go negative a bit, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, you're the right. cap issues that are going to be coming up. I mean, uh, we want to keep, we want, you know, we want to keep Patterson, we want to keep Hughes, we want to keep those top guys, but may have to sacrifice a few of the guys like Bertan and down the road, but um, let's hear in the sticking with the here and now it's very positive. I agree with you that way for sure. <laughs> um, so let's move from the veterans to the prospects a bit um, in Olio Levy and Cole Lind, who are technically the black aces guys that may not play, but I mean, they're, they're still really, you know, it's been encouraging to watch them in training camp too. Absolutely. And especially with Yolevi, right? Ever since he got drafted uh, way back in, what is it now? 2016, right? Yeah, 2016. 2016. Now, yeah. And we've been waiting. And I get that defensemen take longer to mature, right? But, you know, whether you look at the guys that are drafted after him, whether that's fair or not, and then his own injury trouble. But yeah, from all accounts, he, you know, he'll never be the fastest guy, but he, he's got good vision, got a good first pass out of the zone. So, uh, I'm excited for him, and uh, I don't think he's going to see ice this postseason, but think of all the confidence that's going to give him for training camp next season, right? And with Cole Lind, you know, I would say that he probably has a tougher uh, road to making next year's team just because there's so many forwards, right? To, right now, he'd be the 17th, 18th, or 19th guy, but he's already got an NHL body, and he scored a, a goal in the scrimmage, two scrimmages ago, had another breakaway, and was one of the more dominant players. So I think for both Yolevi and Lind, it's the fact that they're practicing, traveling, maybe living uh, with the team, seeing how the veterans play and practice and, and prepare. I think that's going to be the biggest benefit to them for, for this return to play. But I, I believe, Matthew, that they still have to make a couple more cuts before they, they go to Edmonton. Is that true? I know they, were say, they already said that Di Piatro is staying here. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, they're going with uh, Domingue, uh, Louis right. Domingue going in. So. Right. I don't know if they had to cut, they've cut another guy yet, or, okay. but I know Di Pietro's staying, staying home. Okay, no, that's good to know. Thanks for that. Yeah, so regardless of if, if hopefully Lyndon Ulevi get to go to Edmonton with the team, but yeah, just being able to um, travel and live and uh, practice with the guys, it's going to be huge for them. Give both of them great confidence when it comes to next year's training camp. Yeah, and, that, and that's, a, you know, an extra thing with all this unprecedented time with, with the pandemic and stuff like that. And it's, all different for everything. Um, there is that positive uh, thing for their development. They wouldn't normally get. No, absolutely, and that's you know that's a really good positive way of looking at it. Matthew <laughs> is is um, that is one yeah that is one benefit. You know, obviously we like normal hockey and, and normal oh, yeah. 
playoffs. But yeah, that has been one benefit for sure. Despite, you know, I, you and I aren't in the bubble, so we don't know how rigorous or how difficult or how challenging it is. But yeah, that, that's a great way of putting it. That's, um, they've had an opportunity here that they might not have got uh, before or in normal circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, let's, uh, let's pivot away from the Canucks for a second and look at uh, the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. Who are going to be a new, new team in that, not next season, but the season after that. Um, do you like the name? Do you like the jerseys? Anything? Uh, were you surprised by what what the name was? Uh, finally, yeah. No, I I love the jerseys. I like the colors, and I'm okay with the name. So in in order, the jerseys they they look good. I like the blue on blue, and along with jerseys, obviously goes with the logo. I really like actually their secondary one. You know, the one with the space needle in, in the anchor. Oh, I love that too. Yeah, yeah, that one's pretty creative. And I, I know you've seen it, Matthew. Some people have actually combined both their primary and the secondary yeah, logo to make that. one. Yeah, it looks pretty sick, right? So um, the colors are good and, and the logo's fine and the name's fine. Um, I remember it got leaked way back at the end of January by this uh, vlog, a vlogger named John Hoven out of LA. And then yeah. Seattle tried to, you know, dismiss it but of course they didn't want to get scooped by a, a blogger right but that name's been out there for six months now so i heard some people say oh we did such a good job of keeping under ah, no they actually no, did it didn't. but having said all that i'm fine with it you, the whole you know mythical I, I i'm not sure you saw my vlog i call it a glorified octopus that's what i call it but uh <laughs> you know it's a we know it's a mythical creature we know of the clash of the titans movie in 19 81 whatever then remade in 2010 we know of the famous line of releasing the kraken but all to say, it makes sense. Like a, a, a water, a seafaring animal, whether it's mythical or not, it's fine. Whether you're going to go with a sockeye or with, a, with any type of animal. And the kraken, it's fine. You know, I've heard a lot of, obviously, play on words, puns with the, with the, you know, with the name. I, I'll stay away from that. I don't need to go there. But, uh, <laughs> no, no. but I, one thing I will go is, will go is, is I'm going to try and get down to a game, whether it's against the Canucks. That might be a tough ticket. Or, you know, just to check it out and, and support them. And I know we're going to get into this a little bit later. Well, can you be a fan of more than one team? But I was very, yeah, I'm excited for them. And you may have heard that they, they did 30 to 40% more merchandise sales in the first 24 hours than Vegas yeah. did three years ago. And that's, that's saying something in a time where people maybe aren't doing the best economically, right? Because of the pandemic, people are excited. And uh, I give them credit. They did the whole release quite well. Yeah. I, I was actually very impressed with how they did it. And yeah. the thing is, is, you know, a new team like Seattle should have had a team a long time ago, mm. uh, personally, uh, especially with the geographic, uh, you know, vicinity to teams like the Canucks. And the fact that the rivalry is already there uh, yes. geographically, I mean, there's the rivalry will start even more when you, you, know, you play them in the playoffs, play them in the regular season. But just being just down the highway, I mean, that's already creating something. Yeah, would you have any desire to go to a game, whether it's against the Canucks or anyone? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, i definitely go down there to, to watch some of that. I mean, like you said, that, you know, against the Canucks may be a tough ticket. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's something that I would actually, you know, entertain being, you know, I will cheer for them. Just like I cheer for the Winnipeg Jets when they're not playing the Canucks. So, and, I, I mean, <laughs> and I know, yeah, I know you and I share that, that Winnipeg's are our second favorite team together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, that's I mean, funny. Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll cheer for them, but when they play the Canucks, it's Canucks all the way. But uh, the yeah. same thing with Seattle Crack, and I, I mean, I'm a fan of Seattle Seahawks, so yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, 
I know you saw my tweet from earlier today when I was talking to my son, Sean. My, my son, Sean's the more, uh, he's the bigger NFL fan than me. Yeah. So I basically asked him, I said to him, you know, because um, I, I at least knew about the trade that they made, right? Yeah. So I, I said to uh, him about the Seattle Seahawks trade, I said to Sean, I said, how good is Jamal Adams, right? And he says, oh, well, we traded two first round picks for him. So I said to him, we, since when did you start playing for the Seahawks, right? And then he says to me, at the same time, you started playing for the Canucks. So he got me there. It was pretty good, actually. That's very true. I do the same thing. I go we, and everyone's like, did you play for the Canucks? I'm like, no. <laughs> how it goes. But we are all Canucks. That's the whole point, We're right? all Canucks. Yeah. That's how it is. By the way, as a quick aside, why are you a Winnipeg Jets fan as well? Um, well, I mean, my brother was a, a fan of the Atlanta Thrashers. Yep. Um, and what kind of followed them, they went to Winnipeg. And I've actually always been a fan of Winnipeg Jets since Solani played there. So cool. Um, but I mean, kind of moved to a double thing because as a fan of the Atlanta Thrashers too. So yeah, kind of got, uh, got two for the price of one. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, I mean, the expansion draft and that's a whole new topic with uh you know you could do a whole episode on that mm -hmm. um and how their their team will ultimately look and will they have the same success that the vegas uh, golden knights did uh but we'll see how that all plays out in the next year or so yeah you think that gms around the league have learned their, learned their lesson right not to do so much side dealing because in essence you just made vegas that much better yeah well the thing is that the, all the cap issues and the, the flat cap uh, going forward here, I mean, the Kraken could actually take advantage of a few teams. That's a great point. That's so. a great point. Exactly. Hey, don't touch this guy. Don't pick this guy. But you know, we'll you know we'll we'll trade you this guy for. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I mean, it's going to be interesting. But again, we'll see how uh, Ron Francis does. Um, I mean, George McPhee was a little bit. He was very wheelie deely at the end, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Ron Francis will be the same way, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> and George Murphy just kind of kind of looked like a slick kind of slickster, right? Like a like yeah. not greasy, nothing bad, but just kind of had that whole. I don't want to say car salesman, but you could you could just <laughs> see when you're when you're watching him talk or 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 if you're talking to him that he's always thinking, right? The wheels are always turning. Like he is looking at taking advantage of a situation. I don't I don't say Ron Francis isn't that bright? Of course he's a bright guy, but oh, yeah. um, he seems, yeah, it just seems like a different type. We'll see. It'll be fascinating to see what they do there in that franchise. Yeah, for sure. So that'll be interesting. Um, let's go back to, let's go back to the Canucks a, yeah. uh, a bit. Um, you know, what do you think? And like, we already kind of talked about a, a few X factors. Um, do you have any X factors that we haven't talked about that you're watching to see? Um, kind of perform or come out of basic, maybe come out of nowhere and uh, be an impact player? Yeah, no, good, good question, Matthew. Um, I know we've referenced, aside from, you know, and a huge X factor is obviously if Markstrom can regain his form. And if so, he gives the Canucks such a big advantage oh, yes. in, in goal. And in a short five game series, if you can jump out one, one nothing and then and play good in net, it's going to be almost impossible for a team to come back. So if, if aside from the Markstroms and, and Pedersons and Hughes, of course, I really think up front, the two, uh, the two X factors, and we've referenced them both, are Besser and Furland. I really do. Besser, we almost forgot how good he can be. Oh, and, yeah. Fur, and Furland, everything we've talked about. On the blue line, you know, uh, Chris Tanev is really impressed in the, in the scrimmages and training camp. We, he had that scare that he got injured against the Islanders, but um, 
one of the good things about the the shutdown or the postponement is that he was able to come back to full health and he looks good. And, you know, it's not like Hughes is doing it all by himself. He's got a good defensive partner as well. So maybe Tanev can be an X factor on the blue line. And then, of course, drive his value up and make it even more difficult for the Canucks to, <laughs> to, to figure out what to do with all these guys in the summer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tanev, Tanev's a guy that he's going to be underrated anywhere. The thing is, is that he just does so much that's not showcased. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to Olya Levy a little bit, I kind of see that from you, Levy. And he's going to be that guy that's going to be there, do his job, and you know, you're going to say, oh, you love he played that game, but right. he did and did it very, you know, very quietly. And that's what Tanev does. I mean, he has that odd chance where he, he scores goal, but his <laughs> biggest thing is that good defensive, defensive posture and able to get the puck out of the zone. And that's what he does well. You're right. And there's a reason why Quinn Hughes is able to kind of venture out and be more daring in the neutral zone and the offensive zone. That's because he knows how good his defensive partner is. Yeah, and that and that's a that's something that you you can't take for granted, and that's why Hughes, I mean, as great as Hughes is, he does have a partner that uh, helps him as well. Exactly, you got it. Yeah. So just to, it's been great talking with you, by the way. I mean, I I've been wanting to talk with you know come on either your uh, YouTube channel there or uh, have have you on the podcast. So it's been an awesome conversation. Well, I'll return the favor soon, Matthew, but I, I know, I think it's great. And truly, um, you know, we know, I know that your positivity isn't a shtick, just like mine isn't. It's, it kind of uh, frames who you are and keep it up, man. I, I think, uh, especially if the Canucks get past the wild and they get, our city gets even more excited. There'd be a lot of people acting more like you and me. And I think that's a good uh, yeah. thing. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> so just to finish off, uh, who do you think will score the first goal? of the playoffs not in the exhibition game but uh, in the actual game one for the Canucks you mean for the Canucks yeah yeah I'm gonna go with Brock Besser I I think um it'll be a wonderful uh, I'm back statement to his teammates and especially to the Minnesota Wild and he's been ripping the puck uh, during the, the scrimmages and training camp so I'm gonna go with Besser how about you I I'm gonna go with uh with Quinn Hughes yep I mean, defensemen not always score. I mean, he didn't score a lot. In the they only got eight, season, right? Yeah. I still think uh, I'm going to say he's going to be he's going to be a big point guy in the in the playoffs. It's uh, the thing is just moves the puck so well and on the power play. I mean, you look at our two power play units too. I mean, yeah. If the special teams becomes the difference, I think the Canucks have that. Yeah, I can't wait for Minnesota's first minor penalty, man. I just can't <laughs> I wait. Agree. <laughs> That's going to be a big, I mean, it's going to be a big thing. You look at, and then you got add Furland in there if he plays and yep. be on the second unit power play seems like that's where he's practicing. So yeah, uh, adding that Besser Furland on the second unit power play, you yep. don't always have to rely on that first unit. That's a great point, actually. And just, I, I know we're wrapping up soon, but I, I just see the difference. And I saw it during the regular season, the first power play unit, um, a little more fancy, right? They got more skilled players, so they'll kind of make an extra pass. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's different, you know, back, you know, behind the back door passes, behind the back. Whereas I see the second power play unit, Matthew, being much more direct, right? Yeah, Ferlin is I a very agree. direct player. Godet's a very direct player. Even Besser, you could argue, is a very direct player uh, if Vertanen gets on that unit as well in, instead. So I just see them being a more direct, more efficient. It doesn't mean they're going to score more, but it's going to have two different looks for, against the Wild, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. 
And I mean, just look a bit. I mean, Tyler Myers has been practicing as a defenseman on that unit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone's saying, well, where's Edler? And, <laughs> and the thing is, is like, Edler's probably going to get on that unit too, but yeah. Um, I mean, Edler's going to be that guy. He's going to be the penalty killer too. He's got that, those duties. And, uh, you know, I'm okay with him being off that power play. Um, even though he can play it. Yeah. I'm okay with that too. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been great to uh, talk with you, Clay. And, uh, hopefully we get to talk a little more, uh, than just a week. Uh, and because that's all it's going to be for the first first uh, playing round. Hopefully, it's beyond that. Yeah, imagine once the Canucks, not if, but when the Canucks beat the the Wild, we should do this again before the next series. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I'll pencil. Oh, I'm not going to put on ten. <laughs> 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 that sounds good, man. Well, good luck with everything and keep up the great work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so you can of course follow uh, Clay on and Twitter at Canuck Clay, and of course watch him on YouTube. Um, you have your question and answer vlog uh, coming in tomorrow, is correct? That's correct. Every Sunday I do an Ask Me Anything. So I invite people throughout Saturday and Sunday morning to send in any questions. And then every Sunday night, uh, Matthew, I do a, a live stream on YouTube at 10 p.m. So if any of your listeners want to find me on YouTube, Sunday nights, 10 p.m. And I'll be doing those live streams after every uh, Vancouver Canucks game this postseason. So just type in Canuck Clay in YouTube and you'll find me. All right. Sounds good. I will definitely be there as well. Thanks, brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, that, thanks, Clay, again. And uh, hopefully uh, playoffs are going to be kind to the Canucks this season. Oh, that's awesome, Matt. <laughs> keep, no, keep up the great work. When are you uh, playing? Thanks so much, Clay, for coming on the show. And uh, it was great, great chat with you. And uh, thanks for the lifetime membership to the Good Looking Canucks Positivity Club. Uh, great to be a Card Canary mem- member as well. So, uh yeah, it was great having you on the show, and hopefully we can have you back on uh, later on uh, when the Canucks are, are moving forward in the playoffs. We definitely will have, I'll definitely have you on the podcast as the Canucks uh, go through when the Canucks go through against the Wild. So uh, it'll be great to have you on again. Uh, next, we'll talking with Jack Dawkins of uh, Hockey Writers, uh, talking about the Minnesota Wild and the Canucks matchup, and that will be coming up next. Welcome back to Canucks and Pucks. I'm uh, very excited to be joined by Jack Dawkins of uh, the Hockey Writers. Uh, he covers a lot of the teams over there, uh, Washington Capitals, Minnesota Wild, LA Kings, and the Florida Panthers over there. Um, uh, welcome to the show, Jack. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, basically we'll be talking um, Minnesota Wild and uh, Canucks matchup in the playing round, which is going to be starting uh, pretty soon here in the next, actually a week today, um, at uh, 7.30 uh, Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a pretty interesting series. Uh, I'll just kind of go over the floor to you to kind of see what what do you think the matchup uh, will be. Uh, we'll start We'll start with the offense. Um, that's kind of a, you know, to go through uh, what type of offense both teams have. Uh, the Canucks have bit stronger offense what do you think the wild have matching up there well i think it's i think the assuming everybody's healthy the the wild have some of those older veterans and you start to worry as the season goes on do they drag down a little bit do they run out of gas going into the playoffs so that's kind of taken completely out of the equation you're going to see arrested zach parise arrested eric stall 
um, arrested Miko Koivu, who the fact that the Wild have Miko Koivu playing in more of a depth role as opposed to a top six role gives them a bit of a matchup advantage, I think, against the Canucks' depth. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the I think the important matchups I think the Wild can match the cap can match the Canucks top six. It's a question of whose depth shows up to play. Yeah, because I mean I think with the Canucks, like, I mean there we talked a lot of, on this episode actually a lot about the bottom six and uh, what the Canucks are having now that Michael Furland uh, looks healthy and uh, can kind of maybe make an impact in the series. Um, do you think a guy that could match up physically with him is like a Marcus Foligno type guy that could maybe that could be a battle that uh, could go down in the in the round sometime? Oh, I think I think Foligno is definitely a guy you have to look out for as far as um, the Wild establishing their physicality and their physical presence on the ice. I imagine the Canucks are probably going to try to see some of that from Gaudet and Vertanen if he hasn't played his way out of the lineup. <laughs> it's it's looking like he may not start game one just going by the lineup that has been kind of after the last scrimmage. And uh, now that Furlan's kind of looks like he's ready to go, I think Vertanen kind of may sit out game one, but that doesn't mean he won't come into the series at one point. Yeah, that whole that whole situation with him is insane. He had a he had a fantastic year, and <laughs> yeah, he just didn't come to camp ready to go. It just seems like uh, just watching him in the scrimmages, he doesn't didn't seem very engaged. I mean, the final game he looked a bit better, but I mean, you look at like uh, McEwen kind of looks bet looked better than him. Perlin looked better, and they're both guys that Bertanen uh, should have outplayed, uh, and he didn't really. Yeah. I think you're uh I think the guy as as somebody who writes for the wild and looking at the Canucks, I think the guy that I look at the Canucks and I think is is the X factor as far as the depth goes is probably Gaudet. If you mm-hmm. can get if you can get the play out of Gaudet that we saw from him at points in this season where he was I mean, he was a fantastic depth forward for them. Yeah there were times that you looked at him playing and you're like, man, you know, I can almost, I could almost justify giving that guy more minutes. <laughs> Whereas yeah. the wild have kind of sit problem in that they've been trying to establish who's going to be their second center. So you've had Cunning do it a little bit. Coonan, I don't, I still don't know what the pronunciation on him <laughs> is. But you've got him, you've got Erickson Eck, who is a fantastic two-way player and very difficult to play against. But the scoring just hasn't been there from these guys. So for the Wild, that middle six center play is a place where I really think Vancouver could give them fits, specifically Gaudet. And the thing is, Gaudet's looked a lot stronger in training camp here, too. And, I mean, being a third-line center, he's got he's got to be better at face-offs. I was mentioning that earlier, uh, that his face-off ability is kind of – that's a, li- a weakness in his game. But, yeah, he can score goals, and being in that on that third line, I mean, yeah, he can be – he can be definitely be an X-factor. We really haven't talked a lot about him over here in being that type of an X-factor. We've kind of been talking more of the Furland – um, you know, that type of a guy down. But, I mean, yeah, Gaudet can definitely be someone that can score 
and uh, make a difference. Yeah, the it really it's really gonna determine for the wild. Uh, another X factor for the wild could be Alex Galchenyuk. Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. He if if they get if they get the the fifty point per year guy that we saw early in Montreal, and if Galchenyuk looks comfortable and looks comfortable with his line mates, he could pose a real problem for Vancouver. And the thing is, he did look good in the last game that the Canucks played against the Wild too. So, and I believe that was what he was early on after the trade that where he got got traded. So, um, another guy, Kevin Fiala, who. I mean, blew up the Canucks in the regular season series too. So I'm looking at him could be a problem too. I, I mean, I would expect I would expect Fiala to be a problem for any team that the Wild face. The Wild have really figured out how to unlock the scoring potential that saw him drafted and touted so highly. Um, when you know Nashville saw it sometimes, but not other times. The Wild have really been able to unlock his consistency and unlock mm. what looks to be a future star player. I mean, in the next couple of years, we could be talking about Fiala as one of the genuine stars in this league if he keeps, if he's able to continue the production that he's shown. Yeah, and and that's that's what we kind of saw. I mean, Canucks have had a lot of uh, problems with a few Wild players over the years, and the minute I kind of saw them through the last few games that playing against them at kind of reminded me of a few of those guys like uh, you know the Gabricks and stuff like guys like that that uh, constantly terrorized the Canucks over the years so um, yeah he's he's definitely going to be a guy to watch mm-hmm. yeah I mean yeah what were you saying it's it's one of those it's one of those places where if if both teams stars come to play yeah, and the wild stars are on the the older end of the spectrum. This might be, you know, it, depending on what the general manager does with the team. This, I mean, Parise. There were rumors that Parise was going to get traded at the trade deadline. Yes. Yeah, there was allegedly a deal in place to send Parise to the Islanders, and it just it just missed happening. Huh. So this could be the Wild's last hurrah with that Suter, Parise, Eric Stahl. And these are these are all players that in their prime were – I mean, Suter and Parise and Stahl in their primes. Stahl was the best center in the Eastern Conference, not named Sidney Crosby. Yeah. I, so, I definitely agree with that, yeah. So if you've got arrested Stahl, arrested Parise, and arrested Suter – along with the supporting cast of Spurgeon, Koivu, and those other guys, if you've got – and if they recognize that this is their last hurrah at it, I really feel like they can match up with yeah. Vancouver stars because this – a lot of Vancouver's guys are still kind of just getting their feet wet in the playoffs. Yeah, I kind of see that. I saw in the preview uh, article I wrote earlier about uh, that, you know, the experience is quite a bit skewed to the wild side in, in playoff experience. And, I mean, Parise has been, always been a playoff performer, so if he can even bring a bit of that, I mean, there there is definitely uh, potential for that. I mean, the Canucks youth and stars there, I mean, yeah, they could match. If the Wilds, like you said, uh, bring 
you know, their veteran experience and they realize this may be one of their last chances to win uh, right now. I mean, yeah, they match up pretty well. And then I guess you want to, do you, you want to talk about the defensive matchup or do you want to skip right to the elephant in the room, which is the goaltending? That's what I was going to go to right now. Yeah. Right. Is the goaltending. I mean, uh, the Canucks on paper are the better goaltending team uh, with Markstrom. Um, and the goaltending has been a, like you can probably say they they've been a struggle in, in Minnesota. <laughs> struggle isn't struggle. Isn't the right <laughs> word. Like at the, at the risk of offending some people, Devin Dubnik has been a sieve this season. He yeah, has yeah. a sub 900 save percentage. Yeah. That's simply, that's, that's simply unacceptable. That's, that's the kind of save percentage that gets you shipped down to the AHL. You yeah, know, ask, yeah. ask Corey Schneider what happens when you have a sub 900 <laughs> save percentage. Yeah, yeah. It is, I, I just... And I don't know if, if it's Dubnik is in his head. I don't know if it, it was a nagging injury that nobody was talking about. Everybody's being kind of, you know, typical hockey, close to the vest, tight-lipped on this. But there were, there were just times where, you know, Dubnik was just like, you just looked at him and you're just like, what, what what's happening to you? Yeah, and then I... – your other option is, and you know, I'm again, I'm not trying to badmouth Alex Stalock here, but I mean, it. If you told me a year ago that you're going to go into the playoffs and your starting goaltender for these playoffs is Alex Stalock, I really, yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's where we're at. <laughs> that's, and and don't get me wrong, Alex Stalock was phenomenal if you look at his his february and march numbers he was terrific and he was a big part of how the wild were because i mean if you go back to january and december january the the wild are in the bottom of the league and everybody's talking about oh it's going to be a rebuild they're going to have to tear this thing down they're going to have to send these guys out ship this out and you know, then the Zucker trade happens and everybody's yeah. like, yeah, you know, this is the beginning of the end for this team. And all of a sudden they start playing great hockey. Yeah. I mean, it, they, I mean, Stalock, yeah. If you look at his per save percentage and his goals against average after he was a big part of that, uh, that turnaround. And yeah, since that trade, it kind of, it was a big turn, you know, for everyone, they kind of changed and, kind of start you know going up the standings and all of a sudden they're fighting for a wild card spot so like they were they were legitimately before the season started the wild had legitimately battled themselves back into the wild card hunt yes and and they were a wagon they were coming in hot and i don't nobody wanted to play them <laughs> in march yeah and the thing is it's like you know this is all a new season for everyone and you can't we can't look back and say, oh, you know, where's the you know momentum coming from and all that stuff. I mean, it's basically game one of another season. And you never know, like guys like guys like Dubnik could come in and like, I don't know what ultimately um, the goaltending will be in game one. I, I'm assuming Staloff will be the starter. Uh, what do you think? 
they have been very coy about this. Okay. Um, the, uh, the follower, the guys that I follow on Twitter and the writers that I follow on Twitter, it seems like it seems like all anybody has for this is speculation. Yeah. They're the, the wild are playing this very close to the vest. I don't know if I can go, if I'm Dean Evison, I don't know if I can go back to Dubnik to start the playoffs. I just, yeah. I, I look at Staylock's body of work through February and March. And I think in my eyes, the team's not in this position if he doesn't step up to play. So I think he's earned a chance to keep that going. I I agree with that. I mean, the thing is, is there's also like uh, one of our beat reporters, Patrick Johnson, say he just wrote an article about uh, having, you know, they could have a wild card goaltender in Capo Kakinen. Um, do you think he could have a chance to enter the series at some point, or do you think he's just the third string goalie won't have any chance? I'm the wrong person to ask that question <laughs> because if it was me, I'd be starting him. Right. He, I, just the, the games that he played for the wild, he looked really good. Um, I got to see one of his games uh, and I got to be there for one of them. And he just, I mean, look at his AHL numbers this year speak for themselves. It's insane. Yeah. And he, he didn't look, he didn't look overwhelmed when he played for the wild. He didn't, when, when he played up in the NHL, he didn't look overwhelmed. He didn't look out of his element. And I, my tandem to start the playoffs would be stay lock in net. Kacken in on the bench and Dubnik in the press box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Dubnik hasn't really. His last start wasn't that good either. Um, I mean, his last. The last time he started, I'm, I don't know what the date he did, but I mean, I know Stalock played most of March, and I think Dubnik had the last start and he let in like three or four goals. So I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't go for Dubnik at the start. That's for sure. And I and I mean Kakinen was just he was just so good. I mean, look, the, the Iowa Wild were a legit contender for, for the Calder Cup. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely a legit contender. They had two of the top scorers. They had a goaltender that was on fire. I mean that the AHL season ending is really kind of sad for that franchise because that would have been mm. that would have been nice for them. But you know, it is what it is with that. But when you have you have Dubnik who struggled the way that he did, and you have Kakinen playing the way that he did, and I mean this is not just armchair GM stuff. This is yeah. you know you have a body of work that you can compare. And just looking at the two, it's just like how like if I come out of the gate and Staylock struggles, who do I want to go to? And for me, I feel like you're playing with house money anyway yeah. because you're in kind of a rebuild. You were fighting your way back into a wild card spot. You had to address this answer at some point in time. Um, I would give the kid a shot. Yeah. It's me. 
I'm giving the kid a shot, too. I think Dean Edison is giving the kid a shot. No. <laughs> I, I don't think so. But I can be proven wrong. Yeah, I mean, you never know. We ne- I mean, I mean, we can't say – I mean, Bennington and St. Louis, he had the job coming into the playoffs already, so there's no – like, but we've seen rookies uh, in the past – get put in because you know over a established starter and you know bringing a team to the cup so i mean it's not unprecedented jordan bennington and uh matt murray anybody yeah yeah cam ward back in the day <laughs> Jeez, you're going way back there that's way back but i mean he never he was rookie <laughs> goaltender didn't he wasn't expected to do anything at all and even enter the playoffs and he ended up winning so i mean it's you never know uh, what can happen on the Canucks side. I hope that doesn't because the Canucks don't have a good record against rookie goaltenders. They don't, they always seem to struggle to score against those guys. So <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, one of those guys to be like, Oh yeah, get him in the net. Yeah, no, I, it's <laughs> either way though. I mean, you have to feel from the Canucks perspective, I imagine you have to feel pretty confident going into this series, knowing that Markstrom is healthy. Yes. I mean, I mean, he had a little, had a little bit of a, in training camp, he kind of struggled in his first couple scrimmages, but I mean, it's scrimmage. And then uh, he's, he's looked a lot more himself in the last two. So I don't think there's a worry there. Um, the goaltending, I mean, like I said, on paper, Markstrom, I mean, the Canucks have it, um, but you never know what can happen during a series and who gets hot. And, you know, I mean, defense, I think the biggest thing the Canucks don't have over the wild is the defensive structure um, I mean, just going back to regular season, that's what the Canucks have struggled with is, you know, playing a good defensive system, limiting shots. They always, you know, allowing too many shots a game. Um, that's, I think, the big sore point that the Canucks need to fix uh, coming into this series. That's that's where I think, I, you know, I kind of wanted to skip to the goaltending because so the Wild got one of their key pieces back from injury on defense. Um. And I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it would be a key piece because we're talking about you know uh, depth minutes on defense. But Carson Soucy played a lot of hard minutes for that team before going down with injury. Yeah. So they've got their defensive pairings back. They've got their full six starters on defense of Suter, Spurgeon, Dumba, Brodine, uh, Soucy, and Hunt. Yeah. And, and Brad Hunt has been a revelation for that team this season as far as contributing offensively and with puck moving for being a smaller, older defender who really hadn't made any noise prior to this season. Yeah. You know, he's 31 now, but he comes in and has been really good for them, playing some depth minutes. But if you look at, if you look at that top four, of Suter, Dumba, Spurgeon, Brodeen. I, yeah, I challenge you to find me a more balanced, better top four in the NHL right now. Yeah, it's hard to hard to compare there. That's actually that's really good. I mean, the thing is, any match with the Canucks, who I mean, they've got Hughes and Tanev, and then uh, probably Myers and Edler as their top four. I mean, uh, it's a bit of an adventure sometimes defensively for the, with Myers, but I mean, 
yeah, so comparing to both defenses, Minnesota Wild definitely do have the better top four. And the thing is, is I like the I like the move that the Canucks made to extend Edler because he everybody was pretty sure he was free agency bound, and then yes. they pulled it back in and said, "No, we're going to keep you." And you know, I I think Edler and Tanev are are very, very good defenders for what they bring. Um, yes. yeah. I expected a little bit more out of Jordy Ben. Oh, I did too, yeah. Uh, because his his defensive analytics in his time with Montreal were very good, and I thought that was a very good signing, but it just hasn't panned out. And what's the story with Troy Stetcher? Stetcher has been kind of bad. Like, at the beginning of the season, he was bounced around uh, getting a lower minutes than he's used to. But, I mean, towards the end of the season, he's playing with Edler um, in that matchup role a bit. So, And now it's looking like he's going back to that low minutes and playing with Vandenberg. So he's a better he's better paired with Edler. He seems to struggle elsewhere. So, I mean, we'll see what happens in the, in the, in training, or in the playoffs here. Yeah, I just – I don't – Troy Stetcher is a player that I have spent the last five years waiting for him to blow up. Like, <laughs> like Troy Stetcher has arrived. Like I've been waiting for the, like, it feels like I've been waiting for a while for that to happen. He, he's got a lot of potential. He's very, I don't know. I, I find he's a very underrated defenseman. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't think he's been utilized the best uh, this season and, in the role that he could become like he he could become a really good two-way uh defender so i mean we'll see i don't know he was on the kind of seemingly on the trade block at the trade deadline and a lot of people say saying that he may not uh come back he may be traded we'll see what happens i hope he does stick around because i still see a lot of potential in his game Right, but he's getting to that age where you just wonder if he is what he is at this point. That's true, yeah. And and that's, I mean, you see, but you see that with defenders a lot. You see these defenders, they can skate, they can move the puck, and you're just, you're, you're like, okay, you got to take this one more step, and you're, yeah. and you're great. And they just, you, yeah, you know, he's a, a really funny example of that is actually John Moore who I think is with Boston right now. Yeah. And, like, Columbus drafted him and played for the Rangers for a little bit, and he did three seasons with the Devils. And it's just, like, like the skating is there and the puck movement is there sometimes, but it just that he is who he is at this point in his career. And I, I worry if, if that's where Stetcher has kind of capped out, which would be really unfortunate. <laughs> Oh, I, I definitely agree. Because when he first came here, I saw a lot more uh, in him. And, uh, yeah, he's kind of hit a little bit of a brick wall in his development. And, yeah, like you said, he's getting to an age where you're going to be like, well, this is where he is. And uh, this is all he's going to become. And hopefully he kind of turns a corner here. But I don't know. I, he's getting to that point where, yeah, you're getting to a ceiling. I think I think in some regards that's why – the uh, the signing of Myers was such a head scratcher to mm-hmm. some people. 
is like, you know, you had Tanev and Stetcher kind of as your top two guys, and you went out and got Tyler Myers, who Tyler Myers is very large. <laughs> yeah. He's, he is the second place defender in the NHL at being large. <laughs> but, I mean, his defense, his defensive game can be an adventure. We've seen that a lot this season and I mean he has his flashes of great of great puck movement and I just wish he would hit more with his size and he just doesn't seem to be a very physical defenseman I think it I think what bothers me is that 43 years old I think Chara is still more effective than a 30 year old Tyler Myers yeah I, I I would have to agree with that yeah and I think I think that's the thing that bothers me there is that you know you you have this big guy who just isn't I mean that's that's six million a year for the next five seasons sitting there. Yeah, yeah. And the Canucks have to sign some big players coming up too, and that's gonna be like a lot of people said that when he signed uh, that he's going to be an albatross contract. It's kind of similar to what we're doing with Louis Erickson right now. And I hope that's not going to create some big problems that we have to deal with, and the Canucks have to deal with, with Quinn Hughes and Pedersen being signed. And there's going to be a big, some cap issues the Canucks have to deal with. And Myers is going to be that $6 million, yeah, you say $6 million, he's going to just sit there. And hopefully he can turn into that $6 million. I don't know um, if he's going to have that value. I mean, he's a good defenseman, but at six million, I'm not sure. Yeah, but it's weird. It, it's the thing about both the Erickson contract and the Myers contract is it felt like everybody but Canucks management saw that those were going to be Albatross contracts. Like when the Louis Erickson contract was signed, I don't think anybody thought it was a good deal. No. And it became an albatross contract almost within the season of it being signed. Yes. And that's, I mean, the Myers contract is the same thing. You've got, you've got 12 million in cap space between those two players. Yeah. That's a lot for two guys that aren't worth 12 million together. So (laughs) I'd rather have that money go to, uh, you know, Pedersen Hughes uh, down the road. Uh, then you know those. T- so <laughs> here's here's a wrinkle in the discussion for you. Whose bad contracts will outplay who? <laughs> you got uh, the <laughs> you got Parise and Suter versus Erickson and Myers. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say the wildest problem. Those two, Parise and Suter, gonna outplay Myers and Erickson. That's for sure. The, I mean, the Wild win the duel of the bad contracts? I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Parise can still score. So, I mean. <laughs> uh, Erickson, not so much. You know, what amazes me is Suter is still – Suter is still a top-pairing defender in this league. Yeah, definitely a is. Lot of, a lot of people want to write him off and ship him up the creek. But his his minute load that he still plays with the age that he is is – absolutely incredible yeah i mean you're talking about we're talking about a 
a 35-year-old defender. He's uh he's like a month older than me. And he still averaged this season. He averaged 24-38 per game at 35 yeah. years old. And he, he doesn't and it's he plays it well too. I mean he had 48 points in 69 games. Yeah. That's he's still a very high-end defenseman uh, for his age and yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't write him off. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I mean that is that's insane. I mean, how many how many defenders in the league are popping off forty eight points in sixty nine games, playing twenty four and a half minutes a night? Yeah, and at thirty five years old too. It's yeah. It, it's an it's. It's basically like with him, it's his age doesn't seem to matter too much. And I see probably he's still going to be be one of those guys at 40 years old, still being a, an effective defenseman in the league. And yeah, he's, he's a very good defenseman. That's for sure. The, yeah. um, <laughs> there is, there is one thing I want to get my two cents in, in on, and that's the guys that the wild left home. Yeah, I was about to get that. I saw saw your uh, message there. So <laughs> I can't. I, all right. So leaving leaving Salmon Ass home, seventy points in the AHL this year. I I get it. He's small. He's he's a five foot eight player, but I mean, you're. You had 31 roster spots and you couldn't make a place for this guy. Yeah, that that seems to be an, that's an interesting decision. Um, and I could say the same thing about JT Brown. JT yeah. Brown is 30 years old. Was on the Lightning team that went deep, played every game. Huh. With that Lightning team, he's got 41 games of NHL playoff experience. JT Brown. Yeah. I'm sure why he's not part of the part of the roster. That's kind of an interesting decision again, too. I mean, you may need a guy like that down the road. I mean <laughs> and, and I can understand like I can understand him not playing. I can understand not putting him in the game. I can't understand not bringing him to Edmonton with you. Yeah, to have him at least available. Like, you don't even put him on the plane. 41 games of playoff experience. Key depth player for Tampa while he was there. And he doesn't even get to come to Edmonton? Yeah. Like, like, um, <laughs> I'm real like, Callan Addison, okay. Callan Addison's a kid. Um, I think he's a better puck mover than a lot of the other defenders that you're bringing with you. Um, their list of nine defensemen that they're bringing are uh, – Borkowski, Belpedio, Brodeen, Dumba, Hunt, uh, Menel, Susie, Spurgeon, and Suter. I, yeah. I feel like Addison's a better puck mover than a few of those guys. Um, I, but I understand leaving, leaving the kid home. All right. Yeah. That one I can get. And, and Sam and ass, as much as I like the guy, good, good character player, blue collar kid plays the right way. But he's he's five foot eight, and there's nothing yeah. that he can do that will ever make him not five foot eight. 
<laughs> and that sucks. Yeah. But JT Brown? You 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 leave him home? Really? Yeah, that's that's it seems to be an I mean I don't know. That that's a guy I would definitely have on the roster just because of his experience. I mean he may not play, but at least he's there. Yeah, but you know what too is if you get into one of if you get into a series with the Canucks where it turns into, you know, say, say this series comes up and it turns into a snarl fest. Yeah. I mean, if I got to play with some snarl, I've watched JT Brown play. Yeah. JT Brown knows how to bring the snarl. And granted, there are some guys on this Minnesota roster that can do that. Jordan Greenway is not afraid to get nasty. Marcus Foligno is not afraid to get nasty. Brian Hartman will get nasty yeah. if he needs to. Like, you have these guys who who can bring it. And I just I feel like Brown was a good mix with that, and it, it really doesn't sit well with me that they're not bringing him. One of the interesting names that they are bringing, though, is they're bringing Nico Sturm with them. So. Yeah. I wouldn't shock me to see him get a look yeah. in one of the playoff games. Um, he's He was really, really good in college. And yeah. he's really good in AHL. And that's a really, really big, hard-to-play-against center. Right that could kind of be an X factor for Minnesota if he gets into games and if he can be effective. He And he's going to be somebody that Vancouver doesn't have a lot of film on. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the thing is, and the Canucks have have guys that, you know, may may or may not play in the bottom six. And like I said, we talked about, we talked about earlier in the episode as well about their bottom six and who's going to play, who's not going to play. Um, of the guys that the Canucks did bring um, or didn't bring, I mean, I wasn't surprised the Canucks bringing Ole Levy on defense. Um, I mean, I'll play, but I mean, he's still a good guy to have around. Um, I mean, and then Zach McEwen, uh, of course, kind of got a roster spot. I don't know if he will be on the third and fourth line. It seems like Sutter will play on the fourth line. So we'll see ultimately what, how the whole, you know, it all shakes down, especially the forward group um, for, for both teams. Um, so that just to finish up, uh, who do you think ultimately wins this series and where do you think it will go to? Uh, I think, I think this one goes the full distance. Yeah. I, I I'm on the same too. Yeah. I think these are two very well matched hockey teams. Um, their season series, the games were very exciting to watch. Um, I'm going to give the edge to the wild for the most dad reason possible. And that's defense wins championship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if the Canucks get stuck in a defensive battle, I mean, I got to say the wild win that, but if, if the Canucks come to play with their offense, and the power play, and we didn't really talk about special teams. I mean, that can be a whole other I mean, half an hour worth of talking about that. Uh, the Canucks power play comes to and be as a factor. I'm giving the edge to the Canucks. Not, I mean, both kind of 
is yeah like i said it's a throw-up series i mean you're not really sure it'll all depend on how we'll kind of have more information after game one um but yeah it's going to be a tight series i think i think if the games stay close and tight i think the series favors the wild if I, canucks, I agree with that yeah if the canucks can come out firing get some goals on the board, give Markstrom some goal support, I'm not sure the Wild have enough firepower to, to run in a, in a shootout. Yeah. Like, if these, if, these turn into, if these turn into barn burners, I don't think the Wild have what they need to keep up with that. No. And that's – I think that's probably with the skill that the Canucks have up front, I think that's kind of what you have to be playing for. You have yes. to be playing for getting out in front, playing from in front, make the wild come out of their defensive shell and make them try to play catch up. Yes. But if you, if you let them come out in the first period and shut you down and get their four check going and keep you to the periphery and you're not able to attack their net, it won't matter who the wild put in goal. <laughs> that's very true. And that's what, uh, that's what's going to be the difference. If, It'll depend on who's basically who's which team imposes their uh, style on each other first. Yeah. So. Most, yeah. So it's certainly. it's yeah it's going to be an interesting series. Not in to start just to get hockey back in general <laughs> is the biggest thing. So um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, uh, Jack. And it was a good conversation. And uh, we'll get you on later on after the series and kind of maybe break it down uh, after the series is over yeah any any time look i'll i'll sit and talk your ear off about hockey for hours <laughs> i'm the same way so <laughs> a whole a whole like two hours of uh, talk so that's great so yeah um uh thanks jack for coming on uh you can follow jack at uh jack jack on twitter at jd says two that's a number too much on uh, on Twitter there. You can also read his work on the Hockey Raiders. He writes for four teams over there, uh, Washington Capitals, Minnesota Wild, LA Kings, and Florida Panthers. He also does a lot of work on prospects as well. So um, yeah, Jack, I'll just give you the floor to kind of plug any upcoming articles you got going. Um, the only piece that I'd really plug is my, uh, I recently wrote an op-ed about um, Teams loaning their prospects overseas. There's a couple of teams that have jumped on this wagon. Um, look, there's going to be a problem with the AHL next season. Nobody's talking about it yet. But if the United States is not able to kind of get to a place where we can have fans in sports arenas, AHL is not going to be able to play a season. That's right, yeah. So I wrote an op-ed kind of addressing that and what some teams are doing with their prospects. And you're already seeing it, a couple of teams, the Wild specifically. Actually, the Wild have done it with uh, two players so far, are loaning their players overseas to overseas leagues because the KHL, the KHL was doing training camps last week. Yes, yeah. They're on, they're on pace to start their season on time. And uh, I believe the German league, the Finnish league, and the Swiss league are all in the same boat. Yeah. 
So, so I, that's going to be interesting to follow as well. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really heavily invested in that right now. I'm probably going to be doing follow-up pieces to it because I follow the AHL pretty heavily because, like you said, I'm a prospect guy. So yeah. I follow the overseas leagues. I follow the AHL. And this is a story I'm kind of keeping my eye on. And it's not, it's not a big story right now. Not a lot of people are talking about it. And it might oh, be a right. non-story. We might hit December and, you know, everything's cooled off. We can have fans at hockey games again and the AHL can go and everything can just be normal. And yeah. that's what everybody wants and that's what everybody hopes for. But if that doesn't happen, things could get weird. Yeah, and there's definitely potential for it to, for it to happen too. It's not like it's, it's un, out of the question. Well, the, the thing that interests me about it is, and I'm probably writing about it in – in an upcoming piece and I'm going to gather my thoughts together a little bit now, but this 31 man roster thing that they're doing for the bubble, I wouldn't be surprised if that carries into next season, because if you're in a position where the AHL can't go, you know, you can leave your kids that are overseas, you can leave them overseas and your kids that are engineers you can leave them in juniors for their overage season, which I know you don't want to do, but if the junior teams are able to go, then okay. But, I mean, you've got players that are going to be in either the NCAA, which might not be able to go, or the AHL, which might not be able to go. You might have prospects literally sitting there without hockey to play. And that's not good for their development, that's for sure. So how NHL teams address that if they do if they do like a an in-house prospect league where they have like <laughs> their prospect teams play exhibition games against each oh, other. Hey. Yeah, like there's like if you start if you start thinking to yourself, okay, what if there is not an AHL season for 2020, 2021? It's it's insane. And I was talking about it with uh, another friend of mine, and I started naming the different plans that we came up with. Like I was like, "All right, this is the," and I was naming them after I was naming them after European cities. And he's why you, he's like, "Why European cities?" I'm like, "Because those are all the cities I'm supposed to be visiting right now." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's it's definitely like every like I said I was saying before it's like where the days unprecedented and everything is right now, so. Um, yeah, so th- thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, hopefully we can talk a lot more uh, about hockey in the next few months, and nothing shuts it down again. Yeah, I you know of the leagues and what's going on, I think the NHL has had the best plan. I, I have to agree with that, yeah. I think I'm, I'm really, I have to admit, I'm actually really kind of impressed with the NHL owners, with the NHL players, with uh, Gary Bettman. I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman <laughs> gets food everywhere he goes. But I think, I mean, think about it. They got a CBA extension done. Yeah, that's an, it's something extra that I didn't think would happen. They got a CBA extension done 
with a three-year freeze on the salary cap. Yeah. And they've managed Dang. to put together this bubble thing. And from, from all analysis, we're going to have hockey next week. Yeah. That's something that didn't look very, uh, very good even a month ago. No, so, so the the league getting this together and all the parties involved, I'm I'm impressed. Yeah. I am, I am because we usually we look at the league on stuff with you know the history of lockouts and the history of everything, and we usually judge them pretty harshly. But I don't know. I think I think they got together and got it done for once. And yeah. I think everybody who was involved with that deserves a little credit. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think so too. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Thanks again for coming on and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. And thanks Jack for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was great to talk to you about the Minnesota wild and uh, from an outside perspective, uh, some great talking with you about uh, some other stuff as well. Uh, some things that could happen with uh you know, the AHL not maybe not coming back next season uh, where prospects will play type of thing. So that, that's actually a really great conversation actually for another podcast as well. So it'd be great to have you on again. Next, we'll be talking with Bailey Johnson. Uh, she has a website called Fresh Ice. Uh, does some great analytics with Michigan Wolverines. And we'll be talking with her next about Lockwood and Quinn Hughes right around the corner of the break. Hello and welcome back to the Canucks and Pucks podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by Bailey Johnson, uh, who covered the Michigan Wolverines in the NCAA uh, for two seasons. And uh, yeah, very excited to have her on the show. Uh, talk about Quinn Hughes and uh, Will Lockwood. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Bailey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, we'll start with uh, Will Lockwood. Um, I mean, he's been a prospect of the Canucks for a few seasons now. And uh I drafted a little further down in the draft, uh, but he's kind of coming into his own in the NCAA in the last uh, couple seasons. And uh, you've been following him pretty closely with the Michigan Daily News there. So, uh, yeah, I'd just love to have your insights on how he is as a player and uh, what he could bring to the Canucks when he ultimately gets to the NHL. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, he's, he's a pr- from what I see uh, watching him, he's a pretty uh, feisty player, really quick. I'm going to give a... Wait a quick scouting report of what you've seen him uh, uh, down there. Yeah, he's a really good skater. Just a classic hard worker, willing to do whatever it takes for the team. He's pretty talented offensively. He didn't have the best year this past year, but I think that had more to do with other players mm. being successful around him than anything specifically to do with him. Um, you know, he kills penalties. He can take a face off every now and then. He basically can do whatever you want from him. Yes, I mean, what, what he reminds me of is a lot of uh, former Canuck, uh, Yannick Hansen, who uh, he was very feisty forward uh, for the Canucks and ultimately became one of the fan favorite. And I see a lot of, a lot of him in Lockwood. Uh, what do you think about that assessment? I'm honestly not super familiar with old Canucks. I don't necessarily <laughs> have the knowledge base on that, but I'm given that you watch the team enough I'm sure if that's a comparison you're making it's probably accurate yeah because uh we had we had Thomas Anderson uh, from the Canuck way on uh, last last episode and he did a deep dive on on Lockwood and he compared him to Tyler Mott 
who's on the Canucks too. And he's right now, he's a fourth liner who does a lot of that same stuff, hardworking, uh, great four checker, good penalty killer. And uh, I see a lot of that being that type of guy Lockwood could become for the Canucks, which, I mean, do you think his ceiling is more of a third, fourth liner, or do you think he, he may become maybe a top six at one point? I think top six is probably a stretch for him. I mean, he only had 23 points in college last year, so bottom six is probably more realistic for him, I would say. Yeah, I think I think so too. I mean, I mean, we've seen we've been surprised in the past, like guys like Alex Burroughs uh, coming up from you know relatively unknown and coming up and actually being a top six four. But I mean, he had the benefit of playing with the Sedin twins. I mean, if if he does have a chance of playing with some talented players, do you think he could um, ultimately maybe get some looks in a top six role or or power play and all that type of stuff? I mean, there's definitely a possibility. I would say it depends on how his game translates in Utica this coming year, depending on, you know, if that even happens and how everything shakes out with the virus and all that. But Mm -hmm. I I think it'll really depend on how his game translates to the professional level. Obviously in college, he was a top six forward, played first power play minutes, all of that. But the pros is a big step up and I'm not sure he'll translate as well as, you know, to play top six. But I also think there's certainly a chance and knowing him as well as I do, I wouldn't rule anything out for him. Yeah, it's uh, just watching on the ice and his character as well. So, I mean, he's very hardworking and that can get you a, a long way in the NHL. I mean, in the past we've seen like even guys like, you know, Tyler Mott on the Canucks and coming out of relatively, you know, he didn't think that he'd become even a, you know, a third, fourth liner that's a very key to the team. And I mean, you need guys like that on the team as well. Exactly. Yeah. So um, let's transition to a guy that has turned heads in the NHL and is uh, one of the best, probably one of the best young defensemen in the league right now is Quinn Hughes. Um, you get much of a chance to uh, watch him as, at all uh, down in Michigan as well? We don't get a ton of Canucks games on TV in Michigan. I try to watch him as much as I can. Um, obviously, I watched all 36 games he played his second year of college, and I try to watch him in the NHL as much as I can. Uh, when he was in college, when we saw a lot from him uh, down in the NCAA as well, did you see did you see that type of potential in him down there at at an early age, or is this a surprise of how much how easy he's transitioned to the NHL? It is not even remotely surprising to me. Every conversation I had with him in his sophomore year was, "I'm so excited to go to Vancouver. I'm doing everything I can to be there. Like I'm ready for that. I can't wait to take that step." So. Just knowing his personality, I don't want to say he's cocky, but he is very, very, very confident in himself and his abilities, and he knows how good he is, and he knows what he can do. So I don't think he had any doubt it was going to happen, and I wasn't surprised either after what I saw for a year. Yeah, the one thing, like, yeah, you can see that in the NHL too, and his uh, whenever we, you know, you talk to him in interviews, is that he does he does have that borderline cockiness. But the thing is, is to be as good as he is. Um, you have to have that confidence and to do the stuff he does on the ice, you have to be able to have that confidence in your abilities. So, I mean, you definitely see that on the ice. Yeah. It's definitely not misplaced confidence for him. Like, no, that's definitely not. <laughs> he's not making it up when he says he thinks he can do it. He knows it. Yeah, that's right. And you, you watch him on the ice. I mean, it just fr- from his first game in the NHL and, you know, to now he's, 
he's grown a lot. And the one thing about him as an offensive defenseman, you kind of classify him as that, but he's sneakily good at defensively as well. Yeah, I, that's something I always tell people is that I think he gets a little bit slept on for how good he is defensively. And I mean, don't watch him a ton, but definitely in college, he played with like his defensive partner was not necessarily the kind of defensively responsible guy you'd want to put with someone more like a Quinn Hughes. He was equally interested in the offensive side of things and they did fine and didn't ever really have any glaring issues other than a couple games I can think of. So he definitely had to hold his own defensively in college. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really familiar with who he played with in college, but I mean, in the NHL, he plays with Chris Tanev a lot, and he does have that chemistry with a guy that is really good defensively. Um, But I mean, now he's been kind of put into the matchup role as well. All right, will you be surprised that he thrived in that role, or is he more, you know, better to be in, in those offensive situations and kind of go away from that defense? I mean, I think he thrives in the offensive situations, and I think that's probably where he feels the most comfortable. But I would also say that, I mean, he has to be able to play a base level of defense to be a defenseman in the NHL, regardless of how offensive he is. And I think that is something that he's worked on and, like, is successful at. Yeah, and the thing is, like, he's so smart. I mean, that's another big thing of his game is his hockey IQ. And you see him do plays that are, like, you know, you look at it, it's like, oh, it looks so easy, him going this, but it's not easy. He kind of picks those spots, and uh, you see that a lot on the ice. Yeah, I think his skating really gives him an advantage in that. I mean, he's the best skater I've ever seen, and it's not even close. Like, so everything looks easy for him because he's just floating along out there doing his thing. Yeah, and the thing is, is yeah, his skating gets him a lot, of, gets him out of trouble, even if he is, you know, he kind of makes a you know, risky play, but he's able to, you know, correct it with his skating, which is, which is, a, you know, different from some defensemen in the NHL that make the mistake and they're already, you know, flat-footed and they can't recover. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, pivoting from, you know, the two Canucks that we're talking about is, is what you're doing on the Michigan side. Let's talk about a little about your, um, about your website you're kind of putting together, Fresh Ice. So maybe give us a, an overview of, uh, of the project you're working on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I sort of decided at the beginning of quarantine, well, to back up a little bit, I was supposed to intern at a newspaper here in Atlanta this summer, and it ended up getting postponed because of the virus. And I just decided that I was not done covering hockey. I wasn't done thinking about Michigan hockey. So I decided to dive into the last two seasons of penalty killing data and see what changed when they hired a new assistant coach this past off season. And he brought in a new system and it was like percentage wise much improved. So I wanted to see what was going on underneath that. And then I was like, well, how do I share this data? So I started a newsletter, like every good unemployed journalist in the year of 2020. So it's called fresh ice. I just launched it this past Monday And then Wednesday, I released my film breakdown of the 2018-19 season. And tomorrow morning, Friday, I'll have the 2019-20 film breakdown coming out. And we'll look at the different statistical, the biggest statistical differences between the two years and the things that stand out to me the most and just sort of break that down. And I've got some interesting plans coming up. I'm going to do some cool stuff with it, I hope. Nice. Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, the one thing about, uh, like, I've been more interested in the analytics side of hockey in the past, uh, you know, season or two. And, uh, yeah, it's very exciting to kind of uh, read that type of stuff. But 
I mean, and get into it as well as myself. So it's exciting to kind of follow that. And that's how I basically got uh, you on, on your Twitter there. So I mean, and I look, oh, she's from Michigan. So maybe you can talk about a couple of prospects as well. So it's, uh, yeah, so it'd be nice to follow your uh, newsletter in the future. Yeah, thanks. Will Lockwood's one of my favorite people on the planet. So I can talk <laughs> about him all day. Nice. Yeah, we're, as, as Canuck fans and uh, Canuck Nation up here, we're kind of, we're excited to see to see him come up. Uh, he was kind of a little bit of a forgotten prospect for a couple seasons there, and uh, it's nice for him to kind of you know come up next year and see what he does in Utica first, and and maybe get some call ups. You never know. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see him in the prospect pool next season in pro. Yeah, he's the best. After his two shoulder injuries, his first couple years of college, I couldn't be happier for him that it all came together and he signed his deal and he'll be a professional hockey player. I just think that's so exciting for him. And I know his family, they're the best people. They're all just really, really great salt of the earth, hardworking people. And I think he's going to be successful. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing it seems like the Canucks kind of gravitate to is that those character players, which is, which is good to kind of is to build a team around. So it's a saying to see him uh, develop. And yeah, I, I was happy to see him uh, signed ultimately uh, this past season and uh, we'll see what he does in the NHL hopefully he does uh, get there at some point um, we're not sure if we will be next season or not but uh, it's going to be exciting it's going to be exciting to kind of watch his development here yeah definitely I'm excited to see what happens for him yeah um, just a one final question is in like the NCAA in general do you think um a season like what we've been kind of seeing hearing that the season will probably start on time uh, a lot of the schools have pushed it to the winter semester do you think that's going to set a lot of players back in um you know you know set them back I honestly don't really think so I mean obviously it's hard when you're not playing games but my understanding at this point is that they are going to be able to skate and be on campus and practice like I know Michigan's had some informal voluntary skates. I know a bunch of the other Big Ten teams are getting their ice put back in. So I would imagine that's what's happening across the country right now. I'm not super up to date on what's happening, maybe on the East Coast where things have been a little bit worse. But I don't think it'll set them back that much. I think some players will make decisions, like we just saw Jack Rothbone decide to sign rather than head back. Um, You know, his season was maybe not even going to happen. But I don't think it'll really set guys back. They'll be able to practice. They'll be able to be on the ice. It'll be different, but I don't think a couple months of games is really going to have a like lasting impact on their careers. Yeah, that's good to hear. The thing is, uh, you know, it's kind of different for a lot of the teams and a lot of the leagues. I mean, you look at uh, leagues up here in, uh, you know, the QMJHL, the OHL, and, uh, you know, the CHL in general, uh, we're not sure when the seasons will start there. So, I mean, NCAA is a little different because they have school involved there too. So, uh, you know, they have some other stuff on the line uh, with the education that they have as well. So hopefully there's not too much that they they need to do before, uh, you know, getting back on track. Yeah, I know the BCHL is targeting December 1st and Mm -hmm. that sounds reasonable to me, January 1st. You can squeeze a lot of hockey into a couple months, especially in college. They only play two games a week and they most of the teams play 20 game conference schedules. So there's room to get it in. And I think the, I think they'll make it work. Yeah. It's a, it's good to hear. The thing is, you know, hockey's coming back you know, NHL hockey's coming back in the next week or two and uh, we'll see how that all kind of shakes out. But uh, 
it's good to kind of see, you know, guys skating again and, and hopefully there's no, you know, second wave that kind of pushes everyone back, uh, you know, two steps, you know, one step forward, two steps back type thing. So, and it's nice to see kind of stuff moving forward. Exactly. And even if there is, you know, God forbid a second wave or anything like that, everyone's going to be in the same situation. So, I mean, every prospect across the country is going to be dealing with the same thing. So while it might set some guys back, it's also going to be across the board. So I don't know that it'll have like the same kind of impact it would if like half of them could play and half of them can. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So it was nice. It was nice talking to you about uh, Will Lockwood and uh, it's great to have you on the, on the show here and get an outside perspective, you know, kind of more of an outside perspective from, you know, Canuck writers and, uh, you know, NHL writers in general, it's uh, nice to talk to someone that's been covering the team for a couple seasons. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, you can uh, follow uh, Bailey Johnson on Twitter at uh, Bailey A. Johnson, and it's an underscore at the end there. And she's a creator of Fresh Ice, which you can uh, look look out for at F-E-R-F-R-E, or that's freshice.substack.com and why I was spelling it there. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can check out her work uh, on that website as well. And, uh, you know, follow her along and see if those analytics, uh, you know, a lot of people are interested in the analytics. So uh, yeah, follow her there and uh, read her stuff. And thanks yeah, for thanks. coming on again. Hopefully we can get you on the program later on. If there's any uh, Canucks prospects that ultimately get drafted, maybe this coming season from Michigan and, uh, you're around that area, so uh, get your perspective on that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank all my guests today, Clay, Emo, uh, Jack Dawkins, and Bailey Johnson. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, some great conversations uh, about the Canucks prospects um, and the upcoming matchup against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, next, we'll be, I'll be debuting a new segment called Canucks Mailbag. Uh, got three questions today. Um, from a few few guys, uh, we got uh, Braden Ursel, Blaine Potvin, and Luke. Um, thanks for the questions, guys. Uh, we'll start with Braden's question from Twitter. Uh, he asked Michael Furland or Jake Bertan, bench one, play one, who you got and why? Um, I'm going with benching Bertan at this point. Uh, Michael Furland has shown a great um propensity for physical play in training camp looks very looks healthy ready to go and uh, in the playoffs uh Furland is that guy that you have to win and uh you know he's he could be a guy that could be a difference maker in a series talked earlier with clay about that too um he's been you know in the playoffs in the past he's been a wrecking ball out there a beast if you say you know and being a guy that can do that in the playoffs is a big advantage uh, against a team that's going to be a heavy team. We talked with Jack earlier, too, about the heavy players that the Minnesota Wild do have in the roster. Um, need guys in the lot that can do that. Uh, Jake Bertanen, yeah, he can do that. But, you know, he hasn't shown it in training camp. He doesn't show it in training camp. He didn't, his work ethic wasn't there at this point for game one. I'm going with Michael Furland to go in there and uh, Jake pretend to sit out. Um, you may get in the series eventually, but right now I'm going with Furland. Thanks, Braden, for the question. Uh, he's also the host of the uh, PP1 podcast. Uh, some great guys over there. Be actually awesome to get on your uh, get on the podcast again. Had some great uh, great conversation with you guys the last time I was on it. So 
Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, next is, is from Blaine Potvin. Uh, he's uh, a hockey writer's uh, over at the hockey writers, same as me. Uh, he asks, how long uh, before Gadjevich and his power game cracks the Canucks lineup? Um, Blaine, I mean, the thing is about him, uh, Gadjevich, he's had a little bit of a slow start, but I mean, power forwards kind of have that a bit in their development. So I'm not super concerned so far. Um, the AHL he's had, he had some good, uh, made some good strides down there. Uh, he's a fan favorite already in Utica. Uh, so, I mean, he could be that guy that could be a third, fourth line. Uh, you know, we just talked about Michael Furland. I mean, he could be a guy that could play that style with his size and his, uh, it's not the fastest skater, but I mean, he still could be a guy that could be great down low and, uh, you know, and be that physical uh, physical force uh, for the Canucks in the future. Um, he's going to have to make some big strides in Utica next year. I think he will. Um, just like Cole Lynn did this season, I think uh, Gadjevich will make those same uh, strides next season, especially with all the spots that are going to be open um, on on the team. Hopefully Utica can play next season. Um, but I, I'm still excited for him to be a guy that could actually make some contributions to the Canucks in the future. You need those third, fourth liners. I think he's going to make a big difference down the road. Uh, thanks for the question, Blaine. Uh, next, uh, last question is from Luke. Um, talked about Olia Levy a lot. His question was, what is Olia Levy's ceiling? Um, I still think he's going to be a fourth, uh, top four defenseman. I mean, I still think he can be that type of guy. Um, maybe not the elite top pairing that we kind of expected from him as a sixth, you know, sixth overall pick and, you know, back when he was drafted, but I still think he has the skills, uh, puck moving skill. Uh, he's got penalty killing. So he's got the smarts. He's, you know, he's a guy that can still develop into that top four, at least a top four, um, you know, a defenseman and, He's going to surprise a lot of people, I think. I mean, he's back healthy. His health was the biggest reason why his development's kind of been sidelined. I mean, you can't, you know, you think even, you know, us getting injured at that, you know, different points. There, he's an athlete that gets hurt and he has to go through the rehab and then he gets hurt again. He has to go through rehab again. Uh, hopefully he's not going to, he's not one of those defensemen that is made of glass like Sammy Sallow, kind of gets injured a lot. Um, but I'm encouraged by what I saw in training camp this past training camp. I still have high hopes for the guy. Um, I hope that, you know, we all can look back at this training camp and see that this was a turning point in his development and that he, that is why he's going to be an NHL defenseman down the road. So I'm hoping that's what we look back on is July of 2020 is when he turned a corner in his development. So um, thanks for the question, Luke. Uh, Oli Levy is still going to be a good guy, I think. Now, thanks for the questions, guys. Uh, it was a good uh, good segment there. Uh, hopefully we get some more questions next uh, next episode. I'll put out another tweet uh, maybe earlier on to get some, uh, some more questions. Hopefully we'll get more, especially after an exhibition game with the Jets and then the subsequent uh, playoffs. So uh, thanks for the questions, everyone. And uh, yeah, that's the episode for uh, episode six of Canucks and Pucks. Uh, thanks to all my guests again. Um, you, of course, follow them when, on Twitter, 
uh, read their articles, watch the YouTube channel of Clay Emo there. He's always put some great content out and uh, everyone puts out great content, hockey writers, um, where I write, uh, it's been great. And uh, of course, we're part of the Hockey Writers Podcast Network. Um, and so yeah, definitely get on the website, read some articles. Uh, there's some great ones out there, especially with the playoffs getting in full swing. There's going to be some more great content uh, out on Hockey Writers uh, later on. So it's going to, you know, we're going to have a lot of great articles um, out. Uh, biggest thing right now is John Chaika, uh, Arizona Coyotes. He left the team, especially it's kind of weird when he's leaving when the playoffs are just starting for his team. So there's some drama around there. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about that maybe next podcast. Um, but yeah, there's some some great articles on Hockey Rays right now about it. So if you want to take a look at that, uh, definitely take a look. Uh, there's some great insight from the, from everyone over there. Uh, article that just dropped, actually, uh, it was from Louis Panone. Uh, he breaks down the departure of Chaika and leaves more questions and answers. So definitely check that out. Um, it's already on the website, uh, but when this drops, uh, it'll be there. So uh, take a look for that. Um, and for the Canucks side of things, I had some great articles out uh, today uh, from our uh, team of writers at the Canucks, uh, our Canucks team of writers. Um, the old prof put out uh, Canucks, one on, Mer on what we talked about Ferland earlier in the episode, uh, Canucks Michael Ferland postseason difference maker. I uh, he did some, some great insight on that, if he's going to be a, a difference through the playoffs. I also dropped a Canucks training camp uh, recap as well, so check that out. And uh, yeah, uh, next next episode, we'll have a few other guests on the podcast. And uh, of course, they're gonna we'll be talking Canucks uh, playoffs finally. So uh, thanks everyone for listening and tuning in. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking more Canucks for the next month and uh, everyone just kind of, you know, stay safe and uh, hopefully everything is fine with, with everyone and hockey is back for the foreseeable future. Thanks for everyone for listening and uh, go Canucks go and hockey is right around the corner. Let's go. School goal chending. We got some old school goal chending from Jacob Markstrom. Babe.